Amen, amen. So Titus chapter number two, we're, we're gonna move down to uh, verse number 12, just uh, moving into here. Um, we're gonna key in on one of the phrases at the end of this next verse, but I want you to see that everything is predicated on God's grace, it's, which is in the previous verse. These are powerful verses. And everything that God does, he always, he, he'll run you back to Calvary. God's not going to run you back to a seminary. God's not going to run you back to the Greek. God's not going to run you back to Latin. God's going to run you back to the cross. Anytime you get away from God, it's always getting back to the cross. Anytime you feel powerless, you go back to the cross. Anytime you feel joyless, you go back to the cross. Anytime you lose your vision, you go back to the cross. Anytime you lose peace of mind, you go back to the cross. In the only place that God will ever administer grace to a soul is when that soul comes and kneels before Christ, crucified, resurrected. So grace is where these verses are predicated. This is grace working in us. And notice here in verse number 12, this grace that appeared, it teaches us. And, 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 and you should know by now that it's not because of your last name or your first name or the color of your skin or the continent you grew up in. It's not because of any of that that God had mercy on you. It's because you are his child. And because you were helpless and in sin and on your way to hell, God had mercy and grace on you. And that teaches you something. That teaches you many things. You could exhaust books off of what God's love teaches. And the fact that he gave Christ for us that grace there, if you'll think on it, it will teach you and teach you. You can always go back to that, amen? Because if you ever think, if you ever go past that, just give it lip service, you've missed those essential element, elementary things that, that we need as believers. We need those things. And you, listen, I don't care who you are, you don't, out, you don't outrun the cross. You don't outgrow it. It, it, it is a part of everything that God ministers to his people. You'll never get anything from God until you go back to that place. And you don't graduate. You don't say, oh, yeah, I learned that. I learned that in Sunday school. You don't learn it. You don't learn it. You don't learn it. That's where you die to self. And that's where you rise to new life. You don't learn that. You live that. So that's why you can't say, oh, I learned that back in, in Sunday school. No, you don't learn it, you live it. That's why it, it, it's got to be a part of what and who we are, amen? And so that grace, it teaches us many things about God, but look what it says here specifically. It teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So if we're allowing God's grace to speak to us as it should, right? Grace, you know what that means, right? God's unmerited favor, it means God being nice to you when you didn't deserve it. If you think you deserve it, you, you, you gotta go back to go or whatever. You gotta go back to square one. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. But what is it? And so you go back to those things and you think on those things. And look, if you go back to that, 
Nobody has to teach you that you need to abstain from evil. Nobody has to tell you you ought not be doing that. You, you don't need somebody, you don't need, you know, teeth chattering in your ear when you got the Holy Spirit ministering in the soul. If you don't have the witness of the Spirit, if you don't have the witness of the Holy Ghost in your soul, then yeah, you'll need chattering teeth to keep you in line. But look, it's not, that doesn't mean you're right with God. You could follow every rule that a man says, but it doesn't mean that you're right with God. You, you, could have, you could have 15 pastors around you every moment of every day telling you turn left, turn right, don't look up, look down, go this way, don't go there. You could have all that, but it still doesn't mean your heart's right with God. Rule keeping is not the same thing as a new heart. Well, Charles Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers, he said that God didn't save us to give us better manners. But if you are saved, you'll have better manners. But it's not about just changing manners. It's not. I heard another preacher say, if you're not willing to live by the Ten Commandments, 10,000 commandments couldn't control you. Congress could pass 10,000 laws about, you know, Look, it's the same thing with, say, abortion, homosexual marriage. You could pass, you, just because they pass a law that forbids it doesn't mean people won't do it or want to do it. You can't legislate a new heart. It's got to be birthed. It's got to be birthed. So when we look at our nation, look, you could duct tape people's hands and tell them don't do something, but you can't duct tape the desire. That desire is only pulled out by the Spirit of God. That desire is only pulled out when someone's born again. The only thing that can remove an ungodly desire is when a godly desire gets birthed in and the ungodliness gets pulled out, uprooted, not duct taped. Right? It's amazing. We, but it, when we look at things like, you know, you get like right now, it looks like God's doing a work in, in celebrities or something, you know, you look at their life and you're like, well, they're not doing this and they're not doing that. You can only look at, you can only look at what's been duct taped. You don't know. You don't even know anyone else. You're going to be held accountable for you, not anyone else. You want to stand before God for you. You're not going to stand before God and say, oh, yeah, Lord, and so-and-so is not saved. Or you're, or you're not going to stand before the Lord and say, so-and-so is saved. God knows. God's the one that quickens. Amen? So what is our job? Our job is to allow God to do all he needs to do in us. If you allow God to do all he needs to do in us, guess what? You're going to burn like a bright light in a dark world. And that's what a dark world needs. A dark world doesn't need black lights out there. A dark world needs bright lights. And the only way you're going to burn bright is when the Spirit of God is illuminating you. When, you. when you say, Lord, I'm tired of this and I'm tired of that. I'm tired of carrying this around. I'm tired of this ungodly desire. I'm tired of that ungodly desire. And every time, every time I hit here, I always seem to go backwards, Lord. I'm tired of it. I want to go forward. I want you to do all that you need to do in me. And you just stay in that place of complete surrender and watch what God won't do. Taste and see that God is 
good. That's right. Amen. Isn't God good, though? He's good. He's good. He's good. He's good. All right. So look at verse number 13. It says that uh, looking for that blessed hope, uh, that's the, the return of Jesus. It's twofold uh, tribulation. We've been in there the last couple of weeks, but we're going to move past. Looking for that blessed hope in the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. And yet, <laughs> the Lord gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, but yet, what do you see in the church world? Iniquity abounds, right? Doesn't the Lord say that? Peter even confirms it at the end times. The, the love of many is going to what? Wax cold, and iniquity is going to abound, and it's going to be discouraging, to children of God. When more iniquity is abounding every day, you get inundated with iniquity. But one thing you've got to be mindful of, and I'll just it says that in the Bible that Lot, now you can knock Lot all that you want, but one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it says that Lot vexed his righteous soul daily. That means, and he lived in Sodom. You think you live in Sodom, you don't. You live in America, which is getting there. We're not there yet, but we're getting there. Our, our newest generation coming up out of school, they say, is the first generation that is majority atheistic, non-Christian, first non-Christian generation. Welcome to the new world. And so, and all we, all we want to do is ride carousels at church. When this generation coming up doesn't know the Lord. You can't coerce people to the kingdom of God. It's got to be a work of the spirit. You, 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 you can't buy them in. You can't hog tie them in. If you could, hey, we'd go out and start roping. Y'all know how to rope? It don't bring them into the kingdom that way, does it? The Holy Spirit ropes. The Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit ropes when only one thing happens, when Christ is preached, when Jesus is lifted up. When, when Christ is exalted, the Holy Spirit will, will touch hearts. He will do what preachers can't do. He will do what singers can't do. Listen, he'll do what cookies and flowers can't do. Now, one of the things I want you to see, though, in this verse, at the end of this verse, it says uh, he redeems us from all iniquity, and here we go, and purify unto himself. Purify unto himself. So how many of you ever heard that phrase, he's coming back for a what? A church without spot, without wrinkle? That's right. He's coming back for a holy bride. He's coming back for a holy bride. In, in, in this purification process that takes place, he's purifying unto himself that indicates that the spirit is doing a work. The, nothing's going to be done outside the spirit of God. 
Now, watch, look at the last, it says, purifying to himself, a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So, uh, peculiar people, you don't have to worry about that. You're already weird, okay? So, uh, but, but religiously, what we're talking about here, peculiar people, is a people set apart. You don't go where everybody else goes. You don't do what they do. You don't laugh at the jokes. You don't, you don't, you don't follow the crowd. You follow God. And if you're going to follow God, you're not going to follow the crowd, and you're going to stand out like a sore thumb. And if you're not willing to do that, you're not allowing, listen, the Holy Spirit to purify you like you should. It, 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 you, you, you don't stick out like a sore thumb because, well, pastor said I can't go to that movie. That, that's not the Lord purifying you. It's when you, it's when you are communing with Christ and you don't want to, you don't want to, you know, go against the one who bought you. You don't want to inflict, you know what? It says he redeemed you from all that iniquity. You don't want to, you don't want to waller in iniquity. If he bought, if he bought you out of iniquity, how many of y'all lived in iniquity in your, your pre- Jesus life look don't waller in something that he bled on the cross and died for right it, I mean that that's like a slap in the face if, if, if he if we know that he purchased us out of that I don't really care what it is drugs alcohol sexual sin whatever it may be lust well, whatever it may be, if, if, if he redeemed you out of it, don't go back to it. Turn from it and flee. Run. Listen, run for your life. Run like your life depends on it. Go away. Right? That, and, and so that means that you're allowing him to do this work in you, this purification. Well, here's before we move on, let me just say this. You, the, and, and the thing about it is it also comes to zealous good works, and that's what I want to key in on, um, but it's just kind of taken me a minute to get there. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But, but the zealous good works, this, what I, I kind of define zealousness, you know, the way I feel like the Lord gave me, is when the fire in you is greater than the fire around you. When you got more fire in you than there's fire out in the world, you'll, you'll rise up. You'll rise up. You'll speak up. You'll do what the Spirit leads you to do. You'll be like a Daniel or a Joshua or a Caleb. You, you, you'll be like one of those mighty men of God or like Nehemiah who wouldn't come down from the wall. No, this must be built. You are not going to distract me. That's a zealousness. The fire in his belly was greater than the fire to go down there and, 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 and argue with people. So this zealousness, it's birthed from this purification process that the Lord does. Now, we know that Jesus himself is where? In heaven, right? Interceding for us. Amen. Do you think he intercedes for you 15 minutes a day? How much time do you give the Lord in prayer? He, do you think he intercedes for you an hour a day? All day, right? Yes, Night and day. You know, that's why, the, that's why Paul said, pray without ceasing. Why? Because Jesus is always praying for you. Go to him. Draw near to him. You know what? 
that's so essential. And nothing is going to move forward spiritually until you pray. Prayer is just communion with God. You can pray standing, sitting, eyes up in heaven, eyes closed in humility. You can pray driving. You can pray in a closet. You should be praying everywhere at all times. Amen? Now, I, I pray while I preach. You should be praying all the time. You should be listening to the Spirit of the Lord all the time. And you know what? The more you do that, the more, the, the more it's like, you know, the more strength you'll get in it. Now, here's something I want you to see, though. The zealous good works, this birth through this purification process, it's because you're communing with who? It's because you're communing with somebody, some preacher on TV. It's because you're communing with Will of Fortune. It's because you're communing with Jack Daniels. It's because you're communing with what? God. Who are you spending time with? The Lord. You're not going to, you're not going to be purified until you're willing to set other things down and allow God to have time with you and you with him. God can speak things to you in a moment of prayer that no preacher could ever get into your head. There's things, there's, there's, there's things going on in you that you don't even know how to articulate. And if you're not willing to sit at the Lord's feet and, and wait on him and love on him and, and just pray and tarry, those things won't come out. It's, it's, it's in the tarrying that God does the drawing. Say, I don't know what's wrong with me. I do pray. And I'm saying that as someone, I've said that before. I, I've told people, I don't know what's wrong with me. And the Lord, as quick as I say, the Holy Spirit said, I know what's wrong with you. You're not, you need to pray. That's what's wrong with you. Amen. You get sideways with folks. It's not the folks. It's the spirit behind the folks. And because you're not praying, you're not strong. And you're not seeing things the way you should see them. When you're not praying, you lose that vision. You lose that holy vision, that spirit vision. Now watch this. The zealousness is birthed from this purification process, right? So if you're not willing to go through the process, now what I mean by process, you can find in John 15 uh, verses 1 through 5. This is just simply called abiding in the vine. Abiding in Christ. Communing with him. Obeying him, loving on him, drawing near to him, setting aside time for him, living a consecrated life for him, right? And, and one of the things is you, you've got to go through that process, and it's a process for everybody. It's an ongoing process. It, it, it is an ongoing process that the Lord does in our lives from now till the day he calls us home. You can find the authority for that in John 15 because he said, if a branch bears fruit, I'm going to leave it alone. No, he said, if a branch bears fruit, I'm going to prune it so it bears more fruit. I want you to know that God wants you to bear more fruit tomorrow than you've bore today. Oh, you did something great for the Lord Five years ago, it's time to be pruned. The, there's, as you walk with God, there's a greater fruit that God wants to see in your life. Don't lean on yesterday. Lean forward and allow God to prune. 
What does it mean for the pruning process? Look, that's between you and the Lord. The Lord will, that, that's, that comes in that communion. And the Lord will speak. And if you're not willing to let things go for Jesus, you're not willing to grow. And if you're not willing to grow, he will cut you off. Well, what all do I got to, I mean, what else do I got to let go of? Lord, he'll put his finger on everything. So he is what is most precious in your life. He will put his finger on everything he has to till he gets your whole heart. And if you're willing to be drawn that way, he will continue to draw you, continue to fill you, continue to mend you, and continue to produce fruit through you. The only way you can properly produce fruit is if you willingly give yourself to him. You ever, you ever seen a branch dictate to the vine how much fruit's going to come forward? Huh? You ever seen that? A, a, a vine is, if you ever seen it, that, that branch is just kind of stuck in there. It, the branch doesn't have any say-so. Right? Oh, I want such and such kind of fruit coming out of me. And only a little now. And, and, and you know, I'm willing to do a little now, and I can do a lot later. That's like that candy now and later, right? It don't work with the Lord, does it? You just surrender. Let the Lord do what he wants to do. And don't tell the Lord what kind of fruits should be coming out. That's his business. Right? Isn't he the one that tends it? Who's the husbandman of the, of the vine? The Lord is. God is. He's the one that's... He, and he gives every one of us gifts. He distributes however he wants to. And you might say, well, I just wish I could bear fruit like sister so-and-so. I mean, every time somebody needs something, she does this, and, I, and, and, and I'm just struggling to do that, such and such, right? Don't compare fruit. You're not, you're, that's not your job. Your job is to be surrendered and allow God to, to use you and to produce fruit through you. So that purification process, listen, one of the things that it does is it produces zealousness. Zealousness, like I said, is fire. A, 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 a person who doesn't have zealousness will go through the motions without the Spirit of God. And I want you to know that God doesn't want you to do that. God doesn't want you to go through the motions without the heart behind it. Let's, let's talk about zealousness for a minute in Numbers 25. I'm going to have to pick up the pace on this. Numbers 25. This is a, a, an important passage. I want to show you how important zealousness is. Now, properly, zealousness is a passionate pursuit of God. A passionate pursuit of God. But what I want you to see is it's birthed through communion with God. You can't teach zealousness. It's birthed. It is. You can't teach it. You can't teach somebody to desire God. It's birthed. 
If you think that you can teach somebody to how to have zeal for God and how to desire God and hunger for God, you can't. It's birth. If, if, it, if, it, if there was any other way, if there was any other way, listen, you could turn, twist somebody's arm hard enough to make them desire God. But you know what? God didn't do that to you. When you, when you was lost and on your way to hell, God didn't pull you by the ear and make you desire him. It was when you saw Jesus on the cross for your sins. When Christ was lifted up, it, you, there, something happened by your free will. You began to desire him. You began to desire God. That's why God gives us free will. If, look, if it wasn't by free will, if it wasn't by free will, you could make everybody get saved by pulling their ear hard enough. Or if you look at, you, you look at the modern church by giving them enough candy. You, 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 that doesn't create desire. The only place that is, happens is when it's birthed in the soul of a person. And the only way that birthing process can, be, can happen is when Jesus is preached and exalted. And like I said, you don't learn that, you live that. And as you live that, he will continue to purify you along the way and you will become zealous, passionately pursuing God for good works. Zealous, a passionate pursuit for God to defend his name, to defend the cross, to defend his people, to defend the church, to rise up when the spirit, when, when the spirit, right, rises, you rise. And here, I'll tell you about Leonard Ravenhill. He said, he said one time he was talking to some, some kids. He was preaching, but there was some kids, and he said, you know what? He said, I bet, I bet if I talked bad about your, your sports team, you would get all up, upset. He said, if I, if I told you your sports team was never going to win another game, they're sorry, they're this, they're that, you'd get all riled up. You'd be telling me why I was not right. But he said, you let somebody on the workplace speak evil of God or take his name in vain, what do you do? Right? Well, that, that, that zeal for God, and we looked at this in the previous time, is John chapter 2. That's why Jesus drove out those money changers. He drove out the money changers because the Bible says the zeal of the Lord's house, it ate him up, it consumed him. He was consumed with zeal for God, for the temple of God. And you now are the temple of God. The Spirit of God lives in you, amen? And look, you can't fake or force that zeal, it only comes through your living in communion with God. Do you see that? hope you see that. And you might be like, well, I don't want zeal. I don't want zeal. I, I'm fine like I am. I, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to rock the boat. Look, that kind of mentality says you're backslidden. And I'm telling you that because I love you and I have to tell you. So we should desire that, that zeal is a fire that God gives. It's a gift to the church. It's an anointing. It's an anointing, look, and it's an anointing. When, when you have that, you don't need that anybody teach you. First John, 
when you've got that fire, you don't need somebody. You don't, you don't need me to go, been a while since I've seen you at church. You don't need that. You, you don't need somebody saying, you think you need to watch that movie? You don't need that. Look, when you've got that, when you've got that fire, when you've got that zeal, you've got something there. You don't need somebody teaching you. You've got a desire for God. You've got the fire in your belly. You've got it, right? And then the second step is obeying it, right? All right, now watch this in, in Numbers 25. I got to watch myself because there's a lot in here and I got to get a certain part, but there's so much in here. I encourage you to read this later. Beginning in verse number one, it says, Israel abode in Shittim and the people began to commit, listen, whoredom with the daughters of Moab. Now, what you don't see in the previous chapter, how many of y'all remember Balak and Balaam? That's the previous chapter. Balak wanted God's people cursed. He wanted to, he wanted to, he wanted to destroy God's people. And he tried to bring this mighty curse on them. And, and it couldn't happen. You can't curse what God's blessed. You can't. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You walk with Jesus, you'll be walking all right. Now, but look, what, what had happened was, my generation knows that. What had happened was, if the enemy would have come with an army, all Israel would have stood at attention. How many of you know when you're getting attacked front side, you know you're getting attacked? How many of you know when the enemy, you, you know there's times that the enemy comes at you that way and you go, okay, the enemy's after me. But here, here is a stealthy, sly way to listen, cause Israel to become weak and destroyed from the inside. The enemy tried to destroy them front ways, just a full out onslaught curse right on them, right? That's not going to work. Well, how can I get to them? This is the same people. This is Balak's people. How can I get to them then? I know. I'm going to cause them to commit whoredom. What does that mean? Compromise. Compromise. They're not going to pursue God when they're compromising. I know I shouldn't watch this, but I like it. I know I shouldn't go there, but you know, it's just one time. I know I shouldn't say this, but I just got to. I know I shouldn't do this, but you know, it, it'll be all right. Compromise, compromise kills the fire of God. And it weakens God's people. Because it means that you've chosen what God has rejected. And Israel here began to commit whoredom with people that God said not to. God had set them apart. Now, we know from the, from the New Testament, Paul said that the Old Testament was written for our example, for our admonition. And so you can look at this and you can see. It's not just the, it's not a, a racial thing. It's not a territorial thing. It's that God's set apart people 
would it preserve their holiness and their purity with them and God? They were willing to let the little foxes in. As long as the big giant one didn't come in, they would let a, a thousand little things come in and they died the death of a thousand wounds instead of the one big one. But either way, you die. And so we're the same way. We will allow the little foxes in. We'll allow the little things. I know I shouldn't do this, but at least I'm not doing that. I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm not doing that. And we will allow these little foxes in. And then we wonder why there's no power of God on our life. Then we wonder why we're not walking in victory when somebody else is walking in victory. Amen? We, 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 we wonder those things and we, we think back and we're like, man, I used to have joy. I used to be excited. I used to want God. Amen. You know what? It doesn't matter how big the Ferris wheel is. If you don't have a desire for God and you're allowing the little foxes in, no attraction, no attraction can help you out when you've weakened your own self through compromise and those little foxes. And so... Here you see that it, this frontward attack in the previous verse didn't work against God's people, but it was those little things. You know what? It's just, a, I mean, everybody's got to get married. Everybody's got to do this. Every, you know, I just need to relax. I need to blow some steam off. I need to this. We, we come up with all kinds of excuses for our compromises. And so here they're, they, they are doing the exact same thing. And you see in this first verse that this is going to go downhill. This is going to go downhill. Now, the question that we're going to ask tonight is because we're going to look at this. There's more to this, but we're just going to look at one aspect of this. But let's just think, how, how slippery is the slope? Some of y'all know how slippery it is. You don't have to testify, but you know... Amen. We know it's a slippery slope. It don't start out that way, does it? We're talking. It's you know, it's a slow fade, and 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 before you know it, you're right back where you used to be. And and then you become like the prodigal, right? And then you're like, man, I've blown it. I'm not who I used to be. I wonder if I can just go back to his house and be a servant. And God welcomes you back. God puts the ring on you. God kisses you. God robes you. God cleans you up. And God puts you right back where you once were. The only thing keeping you back from that is your pride. That's the only thing that keeps people from altars. Pride. Oh, pride will weigh us down when there's freedom to be had. And pride keeps us back. Hmm. There's a lot of freedom to be had. Some of us walk around like with spiritual handcuffs on and, and a spiritual mouth guard. We can't sing. We can't shout. We can't lift up our hands. Watch this, though. You got to get in, in, in this. Look what it says. And they, they called the people under the sacrifices of their gods and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. You see, they would not have worshipped false gods just... If you would have put a false god in front of Israel at, at the beginning, they wouldn't have worshipped. You, you wouldn't worship a false god at the beginning 
It's only because compromise killed zeal. Compromise killed consecration. Compromise killed holiness. Compromise killed the power of God in their life. We know that if you walk in the spirit, come on, and you know that's Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, we're spirit-filled, right? If you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But the, but the reverse of that is, if you walk in the flesh, you're going to fulfill the lust of it. And, and when they allowed this little fox in, they allowed this little one in, then they began to bow down their self in ways that they never would have in the beginning. Amen? See, somebody that's backslidden can tell you those kinds of stories. Somebody that's lived on that back pasture, they can tell you those kinds of stories. You need to listen to them. They've got battle scars. Amen? God's healed them, but they've got battle scars, and they can, they can tell you, look, you don't want to go down that road. That's why you, you need to be around seasoned believers. You need to be around people that have been around the block that know, hey, that's a road you don't want to go down. Right? You need those mature Christians around you. That's part of the, the edification process of the church, which is another sermon I got, we're going to be getting into is, is, is why do we have church? But that's one of the reasons. So that's a whole nother sermon, but let's continue in this. So watch this. In, in verse number three, Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, take all the heads. Now look, they angered God. Watch. Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. Somebody's got to pay for this. We, we have allowed sin in the camp. And when God's people allow sin in the camp, it must be dealt with. If it's not dealt with, God will wipe everybody out and write Ichabod over the door. And I don't know about you, but I want Ichabod written over my door. Some of y'all don't, it's, that's, the glory has departed. The presence of God is gone. Cobwebs. Is all that remains. We don't want Ichabod. Amen? We don't want Ichabod. So look here. They, they, the Lord said, look, somebody's got to pay for this, and, and any time there's sin in the camp, there has to be a, a payment. Now, we're on the New Testament side. We're on this side of the cross. Where our sins are dealt with is at Calvary. Amen? The blood of Jesus appeases the wrath of God. You've got to appropriate it correctly. You've got to appropriate the blood. That's the only thing that pleases God. That's the only way God's wrath is appeased is by you trusting in the sacrifice of God the Son. So continuing in this, it says in verse number five, Moses said unto the judges of Israel, slay ye every one of his men that were joined to Baal Peor. And behold, one of the children of Israel. Now listen, do you think that that was kind of cataclysmic? You think that was front page news that morning? 
the head of everyone, the head of all the people was put on post. Slay them. All of them that were joined to Baal Peor. All of them. Well, commentary said there was thousands. Thousands dead. That's God meant business. And we take lightly the blood of Jesus. But the blood of Jesus appeases the wrath of God more than those thousand people did. He only passed over. That the wrath of God is appeased in the blood of Jesus. But watch this. After all that, that's a cataclysmic event. So many people had to pay this price and watch verse 6. And behold, one of the children of Israel, we could probably just say he had a clown nose on. He came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Now, what did he do? Israel just chopped off the head of every head of every house, every family, and everyone that joined themselves to these other women this Baal, and, and worshiped Baal Peor, slayed them. And while everybody's weeping, and if you've got a pulse and a heart, you'd probably be weeping. While everybody's weeping, this insolent, effeminate, indifferent person grabs yet another that he's not supposed to grab. They had the Moabitess women. He's grabbing a Midianite woman. But they were called to only marry Israelite women. So he's bringing in yet another little fox. He's bringing in yet another little thing. Well, I know God said I know God said I'm not supposed to watch those kinds of movies, but you know this one's a, a, a this kind. You understand what I'm saying? I know God. I mean, it's not hard liquor. It's just you know. Well, it's, it's not a lot of sin. It's just a little sin. It's right. Well, I didn't buy the pornography. I just looked at it. You see those, you, you, you can sin from one way and then you can kind of, well, it's just, it's not as bad. And I mean, in the middle of all this, in the middle of all this turmoil, this crying, this guy just says, well, I'm going to bring a million. And can you think of the gall? Everybody's, there's blood everywhere. There's tears everywhere. There's heartache. Everybody's saying, we have offended God and yet, this guy brings another woman, and it, it almost looks like he parades her. You, you, you can, it says that he's, he brought her in the sight of everybody. Brought her before Moses, brought her before the congregation of the people as they're weeping. Probably had his arm around her, right? Just parading his sin. Well, I'm not worshiping Baal Peor. That's, if he, if, you could listen to him today. That's what he'd be saying. He'd be saying, well, it's not a rated R movie. Well, I didn't buy it. I just rented it. Yeah, you know how we, we. so he's, he's saying, he's saying, I'm not worshiping Baal Peor. It's just a woman. Now watch, watch what happens. Zeal happens. Zeal happens. That's what happens. Zeal rises up. 
And when Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, this is Aaron's grandson, the priest, saw it, he rose up. This is a... This is the first time zeal is mentioned in the Bible. It's the law first mentioned. You can attribute zeal with a rising. Fire of God rises up. It's like fire shot up in your bones. This rising up. Look, he rose up. Something. He, nobody said, Phineas, you need to rise up, buddy. Something rose up in him. That's what I want you to see. Something rose up in him. He was, he, he, there was an inner witness that he was obedient to. He didn't need somebody knocking on him. He didn't need somebody with a chain and a whip around him telling him what to do. He didn't need somebody holding his hand, whispering in his ear what to do. There was something in him that fired up when he saw this. There was something in him that rose up, amen, that, listen, you cannot teach. You cannot teach zeal. It's birthed. It's birthed, the fire of God, the passion of God, a desire for God. You cannot teach. It's birthed. Zeal is birthed by communion with God. Phineas had it. And so he sees this, and look, it says he, he rose up, uh, he rose up from among the congregation, and he took a javelin in his hand. Hello. He meant business. And he went after the man of Israel in the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through their belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. And those that died in the plague were 20 and 4,000. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, last verse, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, hath turned, look, who turned away the wrath? has turned away, has turned my wrath away from the children of Israel while he was zealous for my sake among them that I consumed not the children of Israel in my jealousy. And he gave unto him a covenant of peace. Listen, one man, one man prevented calamity from consuming the whole nation. One man, one man that was obedient to the Spirit of God. You don't need a hundred religious men. You need one man consumed with the fire of God. Look, we've got issues in our families. If one person in that family will get the fire of God and get a hold of God and get changed by presence of God and communion with God, if one person in that home will get a hold of it, right? You can stay off the wrath of God off the house. And look, if one church if one church would get the fire of God and get the zeal of God and the desire of God, we can stay off the wrath that God has for a nation that has turned its back on God and rejected God. One man full of God stayed the hand of God off the rest of the nation. And that was not written beforehand. That was birthed in the moment hand. This is a now ongoing relationship and walk with the Spirit of God. 
And see, God, when you've got that communion with God and you, 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 you go to those altars, you live at those altars, you, look, you, you nothing until we grab hold of God. People that are dying in sin, people that are lost, people that are tied up with Baal Peor, they don't need to hear an eloquent story. They need to hear from God, and the only way they're going to get there is you. God chooses to work through you and me, and the only thing they need to hear is from somebody that's touched God somebody that's able to grab hold of God, somebody that's able to go to the altars and plead for God to have mercy on souls. They don't need religious activity. They don't need new stories. They don't need new jokes. You, it's not that you can say it in a way nobody else has ever said it. That's not what they need. They need somebody that's got the fire of God, that's been at the altar of God, that's tarried before God, that's pled for souls before God. That's Listen, that's what our families need. That's what our families need. You, you've got people in your family that aren't right with God yet. You've got to go. You don't need to figure out a new way to say something. You just need to get alone with God and let the fire of God fill you up. And when the time is right, the zeal will rise up at the right time and you'll do the right thing. It, it, it's not about knowing what's right. It's about knowing who's right. See, there's, there's things that you're not going to have the instruction manual for. You know the instructor. Come on. And, 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 and it's so important that we realize that. Phineas did not have an instruction manual that he could flip through. It wasn't like he had an OSHA book that says, oh man, what do I do in this situation? Let me flip through. It was because he saw God being defied. Something rose up in him and you get a confirmation in it when you see that Goliath was defying the armies of Israel and something rose up in a boy. David, it rose up. It wasn't taught, it was birthed. David didn't have somebody hold his hand and say, if you ever run across a giant, right? You ever run across a giant, just pick up five rocks and throw them at him and make sure you don't wear the king's armor. He didn't have any instruction like that. It was birthed in him because he had a love for God. You, you, you don't get that. You don't get that any other way than by it being birthed in you by communing with God. And there's, there's times that we've got we've to say, you know what? I, I need to spend more time with God. I, need, I promise you, that's God. You, your prayer life is essential to what God's going to do in this generation. God's not going to operate outside of your communing with him. God operates with somebody. Look. This is the best way I could describe it. One hand on the altar and one hand reaching for souls. You've got to do both. You've got to do both. You're not called to be a homebody. You're not called to be a four walls and no more. You're not called to do that. But you're not called to go out there if you're not willing to pay at the altar either. You've got to have one hand on the altar and one hand reaching out for souls. 
When you do that, God will birth things in you. God will teach you things that, that you, God will lead you and guide you. God will birth things through you. And there's things, there's things in your home. There's, there's people in your family. Look, they don't need another story. They don't need another story. They need God. They need God. We need God. I need God. I don't need, I don't need to go down to the Bible bookstore and buy a book about how to be a Christian. I need to tarry before God and be one. I need to be one myself. You see, we, we, we always looking for somebody else instead of God. We're looking for somebody else instead of God. We want somebody else to instruct us when we're not willing to be instructed by God. It's, it's listen, it's got to be birthed. It's got to be birthed. It's got to be birthed. Let me close in Revelation chapter 3. I, I got more I want to get into, but we'll close in Revelation 3. Just, you got to remember that the kingdom is advanced not through religious activity, but through spiritual activity. If the kingdom was advanced through religious activity, nobody had to go to an altar and get saved. You could teach a parrot what to say, a parrot say it, we're all good. That's not what God wants. If that's what God wanted, he wouldn't have given you free will. You got to remember that. God operates through the Spirit. You, you, you know what? You could, you could hypnotize everybody and, and make them drive under the speed limit, no murder, no theft, none of that. You could just have a utopia, but you still can't touch the sin in the heart. Only God can. Only God can. And that's why it's not religious activity, it's spiritual activity that we need. So look at Revelation 3.19. I'm sorry, not 3.19. Yes. Let me get over here. I'm busy talking and not turning. But that's all right. I'd rather turn pages than push buttons. Some of y'all know what I mean. All right. Revelation 3, now watch, it, it, watch this. Jesus is, is talking to the church of Laodicea. Most people say that we're in the Laodicean age. You can look at these seven church the letters, attribute them to an age. Most people say and agree, we're in the age of Laodicea. What is that age? Lukewarm. Hot and or cold. Indifferent, right? C could I say it like this? The, the, uh, Religious activity, but nobody's home. Right? Knowing about God, but denying the power of God. I know there's an altar, but I'm not willing to go to it. Um, so it says, the Lord said in, in verse uh, number 17, let's look at verse 17. Uh, he, he talked about their lukewarm state, and he said, because thou sayest, uh, sayest, I'm rich, and increased with goods, have need of nothing, 
and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire. That's your faith. That thou mayest be rich in white raiment. That's holiness. That thou mayest be clothed. That thou, the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. That's righteousness. And anoint thine eyes. That's vision with eye salve. And that thou mayest see and be born again, right? Look at verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. This part you need to hear. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. The beginning of that, of the Laodicean age, he, he said that you're neither hot nor cold. So I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Because you were neither hot nor cold. You, you had religious activity, but you didn't have the power thereof. You were, listen, indifferent. And I got a whole nother thing I don't have time to get in, but I'm, I intended to get into indifference and effeminism and insolence. Those things are the little foxes killing the church. We're getting to the point, we're getting to the point to where we're just going to welcome Baal Peor into the church. There are some churches that are just welcoming false gods in. But we're at the point where we're allowing the little foxes in. Adultery, homosexuality, compromise, drunkenness, slackness, all kinds of stuff. We're allowing those little foxes in, and, and it's only a matter of time before the big one comes in. That's what happened to Israel. You're not better. We're all people. We're all people. And when you allow those little compromises in, the big one's going to follow. The, the enemy, if he brings the big one to you, you would reject it automatically. But it's through compromise that the enemy weakens the children of God. It's through compromise that the enemy weakened Israel, and it's through compromise that the enemy weakens the church. That's why the church has no voice. We're too busy chasing little foxes. So how do we respond? Jesus said, repent, be zealous. Those two things, repent and be zealous. What is the zealousness? How do, how do we repent? You go back to the cross. You go back to Calvary. You go back to the first thing. You go back to the first love. You go back to the one who bought you. You go back to the one who loves you. You go back. You rekindle those flames. You remember, and you go back, and you ask the Lord for forgiveness. You might say, but I did that yesterday. I did it last year. You do it again. You go back. You keep going back. You go. Nobody's telling you not to go. You go. You ask for forgiveness. You ask for cleansing. He, if you ask God for forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. You go back. You don't let anybody lie to you. You need that altar? You go to that altar. You need the blood. You go to the cross. Listen, and be zealous. What is that? That's, I'll end right here. Be zealous. Don't stop till the fire ignites. Don't play pretend with God. Don't think that your religious commotion, that God thumbs ups it. He's not impressed with, with a missionary without fire. 
He's not impressed with preachers without fire. He's not impressed with any of us without fire. And, and, and the only one we're robbing and lying to is ourselves. We want to see our families change, but we're not, we're not willing to have the fire of God in our lives. Why? It costs you. It costs you. You want to go further with God? You got to go less with yourself. John the Baptist said that. He must increase and I must increase with him. That's the modern gospel. We're going to increase and prosper together with Jesus. That's the modern gospel. But John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. You want the fire of God? You want to go on with God? There's got to be less of you. And the deeper you go, the further you go, there's going to be less and less of you and more and more of Jesus. And the and listen, I'll, I'll close right here, but listen, the only thing that's going to change your situation is God. You, you, you can tell a story a thousand times, but when you tell it with the anointing of God, it breaks yokes. Oh, man, let me close with Isaiah chapter 10. Can I do that? Just real quick. Go to Isaiah 10, one verse, and I'll close. Let me find my Bible. All right, Isaiah 10, go over there real quick. First one gets a good job. Holler when you're there. Isaiah 10, 27. Who's first? All right, good job. Look at verse number 27, Isaiah 10, 27. In, it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. The yoke that the enemy places on you, the yoke that you find yourself in, the situations you get into, the things that arise in your family, what our nation is facing, what our church is facing, what the people of God are facing, what you're facing tonight, tomorrow, whenever. The yoke is destroyed not through a new teaching, not through a DVD series, not through a book that some preacher wrote. It's broke one way through the anointing. The anointing is the spirit of God. The anointing is the spirit of God. With the anointing, you don't need that any man teach you. Just like you saw with Phineas. That spirit rose up in him. That zeal rose up in him. He didn't have to go. He didn't have to go to grandpappy. He didn't have to go to daddy. He didn't have to go to no other priest and say, well, "Now, what am I supposed to do in this situation?" The fire of God was birthed in him, and he followed and obeyed it. That anointing destroys what the enemy's doing in your life, in your family, in your home, in your churches, in your nations. That's it. That's it. It's that anointing that we need. Without that, we're just playing pretend. We're no better than some kids playing dollhouse. That's it. It's the anointing. It's the anointing that breaks those strongholds. It's the anointing that sets the captives free. It, it, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's what? There's liberty. 
That's where freedom is. That's what the anointing brings. And that's what we desperately need. And we're not going to get it unless we go before God and plead and go before those altars and not move until the fire of God begins to rise again in the church. Amen. Amen. Let's stand up.